Hi everyone, thank you for taking the time to listen to the Level Playing Field podcast. As you can hear, I am not Liam Bird, the usual high-class and polished interviewer. I am Owen Davis, Chief Executive of Level Playing Field, and I'm standing in for Liam today, who's on a well-deserved holiday. Today, we are really lucky to have joining us is the Campaigns and Communications Manager for Transport for All, Katie Pennick. Welcome, Katie. Hi, thanks for having me. Uh, absolute pleasure. So, most importantly, and why everyone possibly tunes into the Level Playing Field podcast, they want to know, do you have a football team you support? I don't have a football team, but my dad supports Ipswich, so I'm a de facto Ipswich supporter. De facto, okay, excellent. So, well, we can see if we want to stick with that, but at the end, you have an opportunity <laughs> to twist and see if there's a different team that you want to it, do. So, it's well. open for discussion. It's open for discussion. Okay, brilliant. Well, I've recently... I've recently gone to new sports and I was over the pandemic. I decided to follow NFL and I did, uh, I thought, who am I going to support? So I did about four or five different personality tests. So, uh, Interesting. <laughs> okay. I'll give that a go. Wonderful. The first time I came across you was a few years ago, Katie, and I know we've met a few times since. And and it was about, it was the videos that you share about your experiences. Uh, mm-hmm. And in particular, there was the one I saw about in Marleybone and, and, and firstly, my experience in, and watching that is it's absolutely shocking that that these these situations with travel still happen, really. And um, and I really I say for our listeners, would you mind kind of explaining kind of what you do with your videos and your uploading and and why that's important? And perhaps also around that situation, the kind of what happened? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, I mean, for context, because um, your listeners can't see me, I'm a wheelchair user um, and I am very used to experiencing those sorts of ridiculous situations. Um, and I think what prompted me to start sharing them is that I found that for me, it's very normalized. I'm so used to it. I go to a train station. I There's issues going getting on the train. I'm not allowed on the train. You know, whatever it is happens. And to me, unfortunately, that's very normal. I've kind of learned to expect it. But then when I share my stories with my friends or family or people that I'm speaking to, that kind of the the reaction I get is one of real shock. And people really can't believe that that happens. And people are really shocked that it's still happening in this day and age. Um, And that has all, yeah, that really kind of... um, well that surprised me I kind of just presumed everyone knew that this was still happening but um, I think actually people a lot of people aren't aware that this still happens so I decided to start kind of capturing my experiences um, just like getting my phone out and recording them whenever I could um, and just sort of tweeting about them it really seems to have struck a chord with a lot of people um, and it, it's it is, you know, it is important for people to be aware that there is still so far to go. I, you know, we have made massive amounts of progress for accessibility and disabled rights over the last few decades. Um, and that is in thanks to the fantastic and brilliant and fierce campaigners that have paved the way for me and everyone else. But, you know, there is still so much more that needs to be done. There's so far to go. And it's important that people are aware of the issue so we can all kind of come together and fight it. Mm. And and I think that that this is such an important side. We we often hear from disabled fans who have a really bad experience, but don't raise it. And, and and I think that's a really important side that, that we need to build 
this awareness and this and this understanding of what's happening because so so often you know we might have a disabled fan and say well it's only happening to me so clubs won't listen or the or or, or service providers won't listen which actually is probably happening to a lot of people but disabled people perhaps don't kind of have the the, the, the mechanism to report it or or the or kind of maybe the sense of it may you know change won't come from this yeah and i i think you're right and i but i think i'm also kind of um in two minds about that because ultimately the onus should never be on disabled individuals to fight every single battle i mean we couldn't it would it would literally take too much time if we if i reported and complained about every single issue that i experienced i mean that would literally be a full-time job in addition to my full-time job which is essentially doing the same thing um you know and and it's you know it's such a burden of admin and paperwork and you know bear in mind disabled people already have to face so much much admin and paperwork from you know managing a health condition hospital appointments or you know applying for various different schemes that we need to do you know it, it is so much and ultimately we shouldn't have to we shouldn't have to do this it it, it really should not happen this way round. So something that we're kind of focused on at Transport for All is very much kind of shifting that around and saying to transport providers and policymakers the onus is on you. The burden is on you. You need to be proactively seeking out this feedback and proactively engaging with disabled people. The onus is on transport for providers and policymakers to be engaging with disabled people um, to gather that feedback and to understand the issues that disabled people are facing. In terms of disabled people, what we would say to them is when you're experiencing these kind of access barriers, these issues, it is useful and good to report them. It is useful to talk about them. You never should feel like you have to because ultimately... You shouldn't have to. And I suppose we'll go into a little bit more about the social model of disability as well mm-hmm. in a in a moment. But firstly, before we kind of get really deep into this, for for those who don't know much about transport for all, can you tell our listeners a little bit about the work that the organisation does? So Transport for All is a disabled-led organisation. We're a DPO, Disabled People's Organisation, and we work to increase access to transport and streets for deaf, disabled and older people across the UK. So we believe that everyone, all disabled people should be able to travel and make their journeys and get from A to B with exactly the same amount of independence and confidence and ease and freedom as everyone else. But right now, that's really not the case. Disabled people make uh, 30% fewer journeys per year than non-disabled people, which is what we call the transport accessibility gap. Um, and this has a profound impact on on every other aspect of your life. You know, transport transport is literally what gets you to everywhere else. So, you know, it provides access to employment, to education, to to leisure, to joy, to seeing your friends, to having fun, to getting to your football matches, to getting out and seeing sport, to getting out and seeing live music. Even if with all the will in the world, all of those things become perfectly accessible, if you can't get there, there's no point um so transport is really like so key in all of this we are working to increase access to transport we are a pan impairment organization which means we we are advocating for all disabled people and it's really important to remember that accessibility is about so much more than 
um, you know, step-free access, for example, and lifts and ramps. It's also about the sensory environment. It's about uh, crowdedness levels in stations. It's about wayfinding. Um, it's about access to information and accessibility of the information. You know, um, how do I found out? How do I find out about whether my local station is is staffed or not, and and is that information accessible to me? There's so much uh, that goes into it, um, and it's really important to remember that. So we make change in kind of we have four kind of main strands of work. We are a membership organisation, so we have a community of members across the UK to kind of provide us a community of support and kind of resource sharing. We do research um, and we use this research to kind of develop our policy, uh, which we use to campaign for change. We offer a, an advice kind of service. So we have a helpline uh, where we provide free advice, information, support and advocacy for deaf, disabled and older people who either need help with planning a journey or uh, need help with applying for a particular concessionary scheme or need help making a complaint or want to kind of report an access fail and like want some advice with how to go about doing that. And then we also have our kind of consultancy arm where we do kind of disability equality training for um, customer facing staff and all things like that. And we are, you know, I mean, our history is very much we're celebrating our 40th anniversary next wow. year, which is very exciting. And we we have our history in the kind of grassroots disability movement of um, direct action and protests of the 80s, 90s. You know, we've got like, uh, the people who paved the way with chaining mobility aids to buses and all things like that. Mm-hmm. We've really kind of kept on to that that community feel and that that um, valuing the importance of lived experience of disabled people coming together to kind of mobilise and organise and and make change. Firstly, congratulations for next year when it comes to the fortieth fortieth birthday. And I suppose putting you on the spot a little bit, really, in the past forty years, what's probably been the most seismic change towards oh. your agenda? Uh, and you know access to transport or or what's been the bit one of the biggest catalysts that's been that this is an absolute game changer for us wow that's a huge question i'm not sure whether i would say there has been one seismic change i mean i suppose you could point to the uh disability discrimination act in 95 mm. of although of course you know caveating that by saying it in 95 it didn't apply to transport to begin with that yeah. came in i that is what i can think of as being the most seismic yeah. change but i think change has happened incrementally and and slowly but surely over time and i think that's what i kind of hold on to is that I, it's very easy to look at the state of the world <laughs> and get a bit disheartened with just how how bad it is you know it, you know it's um looking at the train network in the UK and seeing that only 25% of train stations have step free access between all platforms and you just think my god <laughs> three out of four train stations i just can't i just can't use um which is just you know mind-boggling um yeah. and you think of that and you look and you think god there's so much that needs to be done but then you also look back and think okay well in my lifetime in in my lifetime uh there was a point at which wheelchair users weren't allowed 
on the London Underground. You know, they they, they were considered a fire hazard and there was a ban on wheelchair users uh, using the underground. Again, kind of in my lifetime, again, for wheelchair users, getting the train would involve hauling yourself over the tracks or, or getting lifted, I guess, if there was a friendly guard to help you out and sitting in the guards van um because there was there you know there was nothing there was absolutely nothing that transport before the disability discrimination act i'm talking kind of in the early 90s to 95 transport was not accessible there was no there was none there was nothing and so what disabled people did was to kind of organize and and um kind of working with local authorities that that was the beginning of the dialeride service and um dialeride provided door to door transport for disabled people um who were completely shut out of the public transport network and that that's the history of my organization we started out as the federation of london dialerides and it was oh, wow. transport organized by by disabled people for disabled people um providing that kind of door to door transport because we you know it, it was understood that 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 was what was needed to get disabled people out and into the world and into society and doing things. So that's kind of where we've we've come from. But I, yeah, I, I, it's a really interesting question. I'm going to have to go away and mull over that. Yeah. <laughs> and I think from a, from our perspective, when you look at the work that Transport for All have done and the kind of coming up to the 40th year, is is that concentrated message of of awareness and and and, and elevating the kind of the real life experience that disabled people face and about also the possible opportunities about what it does and how well you you mentioned about the point about what what giving accessible transport is it provides people to engage in the wider society you know experience new experiences that's afforded to everybody and and i think that's a really important thing that you see when you look at the website the other work when you speak to you when you see other social media channels that how important it is to have um, this message out there in a concentrated, uh, concentrated focus from from disabled people as well is a really important side, and I think that's a really you know a, a, a big catalyst for change in itself. Um, so yeah, so looking forward to celebrating the fortieth fortieth uh, anniversary with with everyone at Transport for All. We're, we're going to talk a lot today about uh, the work that you're doing and the sur- and, and the survey that you have, which I believe is still open, and I, I urge all of our listeners to take part i believe is open until the 21st of october yes exactly midnight on friday the 21st of october so so get in there before midnight before before the clock strike 12 um you can find uh you can find the survey by going to the www.transportforall.org.uk and also transport for all on twitter which is uh simply at transport for all um, and also level playing for be retweeting this again so you know there's loads of ways for you to get involved and i really urge everyone to take part in this because it's really important and going into the survey and as we kind of mentioned that this is this is now live is this the first one that you've done or yeah. is this some- well, this is the first first thing that we've done of this scale to and it, it's really because in all of our kind of campaigning work we were you know it's good to have kind of stats and data to back up what you're what you're saying what you know to be true um and we were kind of looking around thinking where where actually is where is the data on this it's really lacking and you know there have been there has been a lot of um research and studies done into uh accessible transport and various different other aspects of transport but it's um it's all quite it's quite medical model focused and it's also quite um top level you know it's how many journeys are made and by what means but 
and it is sort of how many people kind of experience challenges or or have issues with traveling but what does that mean you know what what does what are the what are these issues um and we are very much focused on looking at the barriers we want to understand what exactly is going wrong what specific barriers are disabled people encountering while trying to use specific modes of transport what are they and how do we remove them rather than these these kind of nebulous ideas of you know finding transport difficult it's not about finding it difficult it's about the the actual barrier that you're coming up against so yes that's that's the point of the survey we want to understand what barriers people are facing so we can just you know campaign to remove them and the, the results from this survey will very much shape it's going to shape our five-year strategy and it will tell us where we need to concentrate our future work um you know the more people take it the better and i really hope as many people as possible um fill out the survey you know you really will be making a difference and contributing massively to our work and we'll be able to show this to policymakers and decision makers um and build up this really solid evidence base for what needs to change and why. What do you anticipate kind of the survey results kind of kicking out? Or I guess really, what are some of the biggest barriers that disabled people face when using the public transport? Oh, I don't want to to give anything away (laughs) uh, or tease anything. Um, So there's kind of two two sort of main, like one of our biggest questions in the survey is, is we kind of, we've given kind of a list of, of barriers um, and we developed those um, through our qualitative workshops that we held. We kind of did a literature review and then we held a series of qual- qualitative workshops with disabled people from across the different impairment groups. And that helped us get, get given understanding of what the barriers were. And we've asked people to tick all of the ones that they've experienced in the past 12 months. And we've also asked people to, if they had to choose one, what is the most significant one to them? It's going to be really interesting to see what people say. We we have our ideas of what people will mm-hmm. say. And of course, it will depend on people's background. So it, it will probably depend on what particular impairment group people are from. It will also depend on where in the country they are, whether people are living in a rural location, an urban location or in a city. So what's going to be really interesting is kind of pulling all this apart and thinking, OK, well, Here's what Londoners are saying is is the biggest issue. Here is what people, yeah, we can segment it in all different ways. And that's going to be really exciting. Um, But yeah, I think some really common themes are coming up. Financial barriers being a massive one, just how expensive things are, particularly on trains and using taxis. Customer experience, so issues with um, like interactions with staff not getting the um, right assistance that you need or assistance like not showing up, infrequent and unreliable services, um, particularly on buses, thinking about, yeah, buses not turning up, which is I mean, the classic. And yeah, lots of things about crowdedness, both kind of in stations and on platforms, risk of COVID as well. And people, yeah, people not uh, traveling at the moment due to COVID, as well as like a lot of infrastructure based barriers. So, you know, thinking about step free access and level boarding, the lack of tactile signage uh, at platform edges going to be really, really interesting. And and to kind of uh, tell your listeners, all of this will be releasing. Uh, well, hopefully, <laughs> if, if all goes to plan, we'll be releasing in April next year um, with this kind of big state of the nation report on on the current state of accessible transport 
it's a great answer as well to kind of keep people uh, on the on the hook and to build the excitement level. So when the survey comes up, so we're we're really looking forward to sharing that and to seeing uh, what the data is because obviously it genuinely it does impact everybody and in particular obviously the people that we support and disabled sports fans as well. Um, I suppose as we're kind of looking ahead or, or kind of looking at kind of current practice, what can be done to improve access on public transport? And, and are there any kind of really good examples out there? First and foremost, is kind of our, our, our main line on this is, is engagement and co-production. Transport providers and policymakers are not necessarily experts in what disabled people need. And we really value the value of lived experience. So just um, transport providers, policymakers need to be working with disabled people to identify what the barriers are and how to remove or mitigate them. Um, we find time and time again, unfortunately, transport policies and schemes and initiatives being kind of implemented without any engagement with disabled people. And the result of that is always creating more barriers, you know, making things worse or, or at the in the best case scenario, just not making things better. And as I mentioned kind of uh, before as well, it's really important to have that plan impairment focus. So it's important to speak to a wide range of disabled people, not just speaking to wheelchair users who will all tell who will tell you all about you know the need for step-free access that is obviously really important but there's so much more than that there's so much more to accessibility than that so at the absolute heart of everything that we advocate for is this co-production working with disabled people in a meaningful way in a in a paid way that you know valuing disabled people's time which means compensating them for that time and and expertise and using that to de- develop um transport policies that will work for everyone. In terms of specifics, um, specific kind of solutions, and there are a whole range of different things. Training, proper, adequate uh, disability equality training for staff um, so that staff are equipped with the the knowledge and uh, confidence that they need to provide uh, an equal and good quality service to disabled people, provide the assistance that disabled people need. That's really important. Um, a lot of the infrastructure comes down to investment. Uh, you know, it is a case of money and resources that needs serious attention, uh, particularly on the rail network. I mean, it is yeah, it is it's poor and it needs a massive injection of investment to completely revitalize it. Um, and that's, you know, things obviously like step-free access and also tactile paving. Um, but it's also, you know, the kind of layout of stations and wayfinding and proper signage um, and looking at the sensory environment of stations as well. Access to information is a is a massive thing when you're trying to kind of plan your journey. It can be completely impossible to actually find out what you need in order to be able to make your journey is my station accessible to me is are there staff there will i be able to get assistance all of these issues all of these um pieces of information are really hard to come by and unfortunately what we see a lot of the time is that the information that is available is just wrong or out of date the most infuriating thing when you turn up at a station and think okay this station is step free or, or there are staff here uh, to provide assistance and then that's just not the case uh, is yeah extremely infuriating there's no shortage of uh things that need to change and if we look in a sports 
context. And I think we know the role that level playing field can play and, and also the clubs across the country. What what are the information? It seems like a very simple one to be able to kind of share. But what would be, I suppose, the top three things that clubs should be looking to kind of include on their website when they're looking to provide uh, mm-hmm. the public transport hubs? Because that's something that we could instantly actively do yeah. on our club pages now we could source that and put that on for each individual club but what should we be improving looking to provide as a minimum yeah that's a really good question that's a really really good question and i think i would really that 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 sounds like a really really brilliant way forward i'd really recommend clubs working with disabled people to kind of evaluate what what the routes are to the station for different people um and providing that information. So looking at, for a particular club or stadium, looking at the journey to that club and looking at that same journey for different people's access needs. So what does that journey look like if you need step-free access? What does that journey look like if you can't walk long distances? What does that journey look like if you need assistance? What does that journey look like if you need door-to-door transport? And providing that kind of information on that detailed level, um, doing a bit of an audit to see whether that information actually exists, whether it's accurate <laughs> and up to date as well. I think that would really help, yeah, disabled fans uh, on making those journeys. Is there at the moment for disabled fans, if there's somebody who might not have the confidence of traveling or might just kind of stick to the routes that they're really happy in just kind of knowing because the kind of the confidence levels are, are there. But if they wanted somebody to kind of broaden out to, let's say they live in London, but they want to go to Manchester and they want to go and experience a show or, you know, sport or whatever it is in Manchester are there apps or technology or websites that that are kind of go to that really help people in just being able to kind of map that out I mean yeah it really depends on on what you're looking for and what your specific requirements are if you have a specific access requirements for example if you require step-free access via use of manual boarding ramps when you go to train stations um, it can give you a peace of mind to book in advance, book assistance in advance. And there is a really good app for that now, the Passenger Assist app, where you can make those assistance bookings just in the app rather than having to, in the previous times, you'd have to kind of phone them up and spend hours on hold and it was a nightmare. Now there's an app in which you can do that um, and that can give you a peace of mind. I mean, again, I'm going to caveat that by saying disabled people shouldn't have to book in advance Um, and and you know something we really advocate for is spontaneous travel and being able to just go uh turn up and go um but if it does give you a peace of mind it can help to um book assistance in advance um and then i would also really encourage people to hold that to account so if you book assistance in advance and that assistance does not turn up that I mean, those, those those are the moments where I would really encourage people to get in touch with us. Uh, we want to know about that happening because that is not okay. Yeah, it's one thing to expect disabled people to book assistance in advance, but then if the, if the assistance doesn't turn up, that is, and you know, it does happen. And and by the um, Office of Rail and Roads own statistics, I think it's about seventy five percent of assistance bookings are provided in full. So twenty five percent of the time, one in four. <laughs> 
journeys result in um, that assistance not being provided in full. And I mean, that's shocking, but I, you know, I think we have reason to believe that that's actually quite underreported. I'm sorry, I'm not actually, I'm not telling people with confidence here if you're not, I'm not particularly confident in traveling, but I, you know, I would say it is difficult. I know it's difficult to build your confidence. I, I very much, I've been there. I, it's not pleasant at all to be, to be put in a situation where you have your autonomy removed in situations where you are left on a train and you're not met with the assistance that you need and you don't know what to do in that instance and you have to kind of it's in those moments you have to rely upon the kindness of strangers you have to really rely upon a member of the public kind of saying okay let me go and like see if anyone's about on the station and and see and speak to someone for you to to be to have your agency and independence and autonomy in those situations completely removed is awful and no one should have to go through that but then i would also say to disabled people who are not confident in traveling you know that that is completely understandable because there, there are so many barriers and that's not on you it's not on disabled people to just feel more co- confident in traveling it's it's on all of us to build a fairer society where these things don't happen. My biggest piece of advice is just to reach out to other disabled people and 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 seek out that community and seek out that support. There are so many people in the exact same situation who know, who know and understand how it feels and can provide some solidarity and some support. And it, these things shouldn't happen. And it's not, yeah, it's, it's not on people to kind of feel bad about not not having the confidence and not bad about it. it these things should not happen. And, you know, we're, we're fighting very hard for a world in where these things do not happen. But in the meantime, seek out that support, seek out that solidarity. Um, and I think that can that can go a long way in making you feel um, at least not alone. We did our Wayfan survey uh, kind of around Christmas time, um, and one of the one of the findings that we had is that the survey indicated that nineteen percent of supporters who took part um, said that inaccessible public transport and inaccessible journey from station to stadium were barriers uh, to them attending an away game. I suppose my question to you is: Are you surprised by the results and? you know how what can we do to kind of get those numbers down i i mean i'm not surprised um i'm not surprised at all it, i it, it's it's unacceptable but i'm not surprised at all it's an attitude it's a culture that unfortunately still accessibility is not thought of as a fundamental and non-negotiable part of a of a proper functioning public transport system And for the life of me, I will never understand why it's not, because to me, I think a public transport system should be that. It should be public. It should be open to everyone. Absolutely everyone should be able to use it. It is, as we've said already, it is a key enabler to get to where you need to go to, to join in in all other areas of society. For some reason, accessibility is still not considered a core part of it. And it should be. It should be up there with sustainability and health and safety. You know, th- these are these are key features of a transport system that are not up for debate. And unfortunately, we're just not quite there yet. Unfortunately, accessibility is still thought of as as a bit of a luxury, a bit of a, a bit of an add on, something you can kind of do at the end if you have time, if you have enough money, rather than being baked in from the beginning. And we need to change that mindset. We need to completely get out of that way of thinking. Transport services need to be designed, planned, implemented, run and evaluated with accessibility 
in mind, at the forefront, completely underpinning everything that you do. And disabled people are not a small number of people. You know, it's one in five of the population, 20, 20% of the population are disabled people. Um, and, you know, that figure will rise, that figure will rise. And we really need to come together and, and demand that disabled people are taken seriously, that our access requirements are taken seriously, and that transport systems are designed with 20% of the population in mind. We've spoken before we started this about the, the the importance of the social model of disability. And I think there'll be some people who kind of completely understand it, but there'll be a few of our listeners who, who won't. So I was just wondering about if you, from your perspective, you could share, A, firstly, what the social model of disability is and how you use that from a, from a, yeah, from a transport for all perspective. Transport for all uses the social model of disability, which says that disabled people are disabled by barriers that exist in society. And so it's really important to make that distinction between someone's impairment and what's going on with themselves and being disabled, uh, which is something that happens on top of that. You are disabled by society. You are disabled and and, and barred out of of accessing the things that you need because society has not been designed with disabled people in mind, with um, people who need access and it's really important for us because that is the, that is the target of all of our work. That's the target of our campaigns. We are looking at the barriers that exist in society and looking at where we can remove them. It doesn't have to be this way. You know, it, there's no there's no reason why we have disabling barriers. It, we don't need to have it. We we as human beings have created this world. We have built society. We have built a society that discriminates and excludes some people but we also have the power to change it. We we can we can make things better. We can kind of design systems that are inclusive of everyone and that don't exclude and discriminate and disable a specific kind of group of people. So yeah, it's it's hugely important to what we do. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, just before we do kind of go, just a reminder, the survey, uh, it closes on Friday, the 21st of October. As we mentioned, we, you get, get, go to the Transport for All website and on Twitter, and also we'll share it again. Just a call out really without the views and experiences of, of disabled people who, who, who travel and the, the lived experiences, we can't really capture the kind of what's the situation right now. And we, we can't have that, that change kind of, you know, immediately midterm and long term. So we need everyone to speak up to share their experiences so get get involved get involved in that survey um we're, we're really looking forward to kind of seeing those findings and how we can use those but as i said thanks so much for your time katie really appreciate it and uh, yeah look forward to kind of catching up again but also for seeing the results thank you absolutely thank you can i also just really quickly mention um the survey is available in many different formats so you can take it online uh, um as an online form. There's also a Word document that has both a print and a large print version that you can either download or we can email it to you or we can mail it to you in the post. You can fill it out at home and mail back to us. We also have the capability to do it over the phone. So you can give us a call and you can take it over the phone or you can book in a slot um, over Zoom where we will book a British Sign Language interpreter and facilitate taking the survey that way. So there's many different options of how to take it. And if you complete the survey, you can be entered into our prize draw for a chance to win either a £100 shopping voucher or one of two £50 shopping vouchers. So do get those responses in. Brilliant. Thank you very Thanks much. Thanks so much for having me. It's been so great to chat. 